The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org.
hope, our future is in you, Lord. Our, our Savior is Jesus. Our answer is Jesus. All to you we give.
Until you came and rescued me, I was bound by all my sin when your love came and set me free. Now my soul can sing a new song, now my heart has found a home, now your grace is always with me, and I'll never be
Okay, most of you know that in the past I was a history teacher, so I'm going to start today with a little bit of an origin or the history of Mother's Day. In the United States, Mother's Day was the first suggested in 1872 by Julia Ward, who wrote the words to the Battle Hymn of the Republic. As a day dedicated to peace, Miss Howe would hold an organized Mother's Day meeting in Boston, Massachusetts every year. In 1907, Ann Jarvis from Philadelphia began a campaign to establish a National Mother's Day. Miss Jarvis persuaded her mother's church in Grafton, West Virginia, to celebrate Mother's Day on the second anniversary of her mother's death, the second Sunday of May. By the next year, Mother's Day was also celebrated in uh, Philadelphia. Miss Jarvis and her supporters began to write to ministers, businessmen, and politicians in their quest to establish a National Mother's Day. It was successful as by 1911, Mother's Day was celebrated in almost every state. President Woodrow Wilson in 1914 made an official announcement proclaiming Mother's Day a national holiday that was to be held each year on the second Sunday of May. He established the day as a time for public expression of our love and reverence for our mothers of our country. By then it had become customary to wear white carnations to honor the departed mothers and red to honor the living, a custom that continues today. While many countries in the world celebrate their own Mother's Day at different times throughout the year, there are some countries, such as Denmark, Finland, Italy, Turkey, Australia, and Belgium, which also celebrate Mother's Day on the second Sunday of May. Not sure about you, but there was a lot of things my mother taught me, and I have a list of, I don't know, 25 or so here, and I'm not going to read all 25 to you today, but I have picked out some that I'm sure your mothers have taught you some of these same lessons. The lesson to appreciate a job well done. If you're going to kill each other, do it outside. I just finished cleaning. <laughs> Pretty good, huh? My mother taught me religion. You better pray that comes out of the carpet. Yeah, I probably got that one too. Mother taught you time travel. If you don't straighten up, I'm going to knock you into the middle of next week. Been there a time or two. Logic. She taught you logic because I said so. I think I've used that on my own kids. Uh, irony. Keep crying and I'll give you something to cry about. Didn't think I'd ever use that when I did. You know, mother taught you a lot of different things, guys. But when we talk about mothers, they are so precious to us. 
they are they are life lessons in everything they ever tell you. Funny story, just last Sunday, I helped my mother do something that I haven't done with her in a long time. And I asked her for a lighter. And she said, what do you need a lighter for? I said, so we can melt the little hoses on the air conditioners and they'll seat up to those brass fittings better. I said, Mom, you're the one that taught me that all them years ago. She couldn't remember that. I did. I want to share Proverbs 6, 20 through 23 with you. And it says, My son, obey your father's commands and don't neglect your mother's instruction. Keep their words always in your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, their counsel will lead you. When you sleep, they will protect you. And when you wake up, they will advise you. For their command is a lamp, and their instruction is a light. Their corrective discipline is a way to life. Let us pray. Lord, on this day which we honor the mothers, may we love and cherish the special women who have borne us, who have nurtured us, who have prayed for our well-being. May our hearts overflow with gratitude who formed and knitted each of us in the womb. We pray you give each mother strength. We ask that you be with them daily. Father, we ask that you be the daily bread for our tired mothers. May each mother find rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen. It is tough being a mom, and may may never have been harder than it is today. There are lots of expectations on moms. To be cook, maid, tutor, career counselor, therapist, taxi driver. They're expected to serve in their community, in their church, at school. Many are expected to... Uh, exercise, stay in shape, lose 10 pounds, stay, stay in style with all of the latest fashion trends and do it all on a budget. They work outside the home nine hours a day. They work at home another nine hours a day. They keep up with their girlfriends, their birthdays, their school parties, current events, books, and rest all in that same time. I don't think it's no wonder that the University of Kansas had a recent study that said a growing number of moms feel stress, exhaustion, and depression. Can I get an oh yeah from the moms in the room? Forbes Woman put out a survey recently. They surveyed 1,200 women on a variety of topics. But there was one question on there that really jumped off the page at me. They asked this question, what one word describes your mental health right now? But this is what was really interesting to me. 92% of working women and 89% of stay-at-home moms had the exact same answer. One word. What one word describes your mental health right now? Overwhelmed. No, because no one person can really carry all that weight. And then you throw in the cultural problems. Trying to be a Christian mom and raise children in a way... But you face moral issues and movies and video games and online influences. There is a culture that speaks against the moral values that you want to instill in your children. An entire world that wants your kids 
to be different than what you want. I think it is appropriate that we take a day and we speak of this. I appreciate uh, Wes sharing all of the history of Mother's Day. And while it is started here in America, it is celebrated worldwide. And though it's not a Christian holiday, it's good to pay tribute to moms. And those of you in the room that if you want to be a godly mom or a godly grandmom, there is a great example of that. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, it's the story of Hannah. If you would join me there, we, I want you to have your Bibles open, your apps open. If you're joining us online or on the radio, thanks for tuning in to Central Christian Church. 1 Samuel chapter 1, we want to be a Bible-believing church and a Bible-using church. Starting in verse 1 of, of 1 Samuel 1, there was a man from Ramathame, Zophim in the hill country of Ephraim. His name was Elkanah, son of Jeroam, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. He had two wives, the first named Hannah and the second named Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah was childless. This man would go up from his town every year to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of armies at Shiloh, where Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were the Lord's priests. Whenever Elkanah offered a sacrifice, he always gave portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to each of her sons and daughters. But he gave a double portion to Hannah, for he loved her, even though the Lord had kept her from conceiving. Her rival would taunt her severely just to provoke her, because the Lord had kept Hannah from conceiving. Year after year, when she went up to the Lord's house, her rival taunted her in this way. Hannah would weep and would not eat. Hannah would... Hannah, why are you crying? Her husband Elkanah would ask. Why won't you eat? Why are you troubled? Am I not better to you than ten sons? On one occasion, Hannah got up after they ate and drank at Shiloh. The priest Eli was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. Deeply hurt, Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept with many tears, making a vow, she pleaded, Lord of armies, if you'll take notice of your servant's affliction, Remember and not forget me, and give your servant a son. I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and his hair will never be cut. While she continued praying in the Lord's presence, Eli watched her mouth. Hannah was praying silently, and though her lips were moving, her voice could not be heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to be drunk? Get rid of your wine. No, my Lord, Hannah replied, I am not a, I am a woman with broken heart. I haven't had any wine or beer. I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. Don't think of me as a wicked woman. I've been praying from the depth of my anguish and resentment. Eli responded, Then go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant the request you've made of him. May your servant find favor with you, she replied. Then Hannah went on her way. She ate and no longer looked despondent. We find out a lot about what it takes to be a godly mom right here. Hannah shows us you can be a godly mom in a less than perfect home. She was unable to conceive a child. And few griefs parallel that emptiness. According to the CDC, I just checked this week, Almost 11% of U.S. women ages 14 to 44 have difficulty with pregnancy. One in every 10. So numbers say that happens even in this room. 
And in Hannah's day, if you were unable to bear a child, that was grounds for divorce. Now, I'm not liking that. I'm just telling you, okay? The culture of that time said uh, rabbinical law allowed if you had no kids, then the husband could write a letter of divorce or cast you out. That's what a divorce was. And you were gone. Maybe Hannah's greatest lesson to us is that she was worshiping God in the midst of her pain. It said year after year she did this. She consistently continued to worship. And Scripture shows us that Hannah's marriage was not biblical. It was not really good. Now, polygamy we see in Scripture many times, but it was never designed that way. It was never God's plan. That was actually a cultural thing. And as I said, I'm not liking this. I'm just saying in those days, women were treated as property. And a man could get more wives so he could get more sons so he would have more authority, more, more power. And if a woman didn't, you could just cast her out. And they didn't have a Bible, and they didn't have the teachings of Jesus or Peter or Paul. And there's nothing in the Torah that would, would ban multiple marriages. There's examples of it. There's nothing in there that says they can't. So it was kind of a case of when in Rome, do what they're doing. Only The only thing they really had was that that was going on around them. If everyone else was doing it and it was okay and the Bible you had didn't have anything against it, why didn't you? The American writer Mark Twain was once asked, why, doesn't, why couldn't you have multiple wives? I mean, why, why, there's nothing that pre, prevents it in Scripture. And he thought for a minute and he said, well... Scripture says no man can serve two masters. That wasn't the laughter I was hoping for. Um, there's a lot of you going, ha, ha, uh, uh, I'm not laughing. Uh, no, he's dumb. Honey, that's not right. Uh. People were susceptible to the culture around them. Does that happen here? Things that are against God, but culture okays, and everybody okays, and then he's like, oh, I guess it's okay. You hearing me? And we just succumb to the culture. But Hannah's story tells us, go to what God said first. Go to what God's Word said. If culture and the Scriptures clash, then the Scriptures win. If culture and, and God clash, then God wins. And to make matters even worse, the other wife was mean. Peninnah's name means red pearl. Hannah's name means grace or favor. It doesn't say it in Scripture, but could it possibly have been that Peninnah was the second wife? That Hannah was the first wife, was his first love, but he didn't have any kids, so he went and got another one. Uh, Did you hear it in verse 6? It says, her rival wife taunted her cruelly. Now, I know that doesn't happen in our culture, but apparently women could be catty to each other. Again, not the laughter I was really hoping for, but uh, could it be possible she said stuff like, I don't know why you continue in worshiping and crying. God doesn't love you. If he did, you wouldn't be. He would bless you with children. You must have sinned greatly for, for you to be so barren. 
Or maybe it was subtly. Maybe Pennant is in the other room going, ah, oh, it's just so exhausting planning all these birthday parties for these kids. Isn't that right, Hannah? Oh, yeah. You hearing me? And it's painful. It's subtle little things that could hurt. But friends, how we react to hurt tells more about our character than it does about theirs. Okay? Hannah reacted. She went to God. She didn't go to her friends. She didn't. She cried, but she didn't cry out to other people and gang up people. She went to God. Even when things were hurting, she was revealing her character. Let me ask you this. Can you be in situations where people treat you cruelty? Can you be in situations where life treats you cruelty, cruelly? That how come they always have it together and we don't? How come their marriage works and their finances work and, and we don't? And it just, every time you see it, it hurts. Or maybe you sit there and say, no one listens to me and no one respects me. We're over here on the eastern side of the state. Nobody listens to our opinion. We're just, it's like we're outcasts, friends. Listen to this. If we, even if we have been treated with cruel words, our words should not respond in kind. Even if they've said awful things about us or our beliefs or our actions, our words should not respond in kind. We have an opportunity to show love in our words. You realize you can have everything correct. You can have everything right and still be wrong. We've said this many times. 1 Corinthians 13 says, I can speak with the tongues of men and angels, but if I say it in a hateful way and I don't have it in love, I'm just making noise. I don't like referencing politics from here, but I feel a burden to share something on my heart right now of something that's going on in our world. Many uh, have seen this week a, a leaked, a possibility of a leaked report from the Supreme Court. And many people have jumped out and said, we won and we're back in control. And friends, you need to understand, there are people on both sides of that issue. I'm not trying to ride the fence. I have strong beliefs about it. You have strong beliefs about it. We've got to act like Christ followers. We've got to speak like Christ followers. Now, a lot of people are saying, I'm defending the Lord because I believe my side's right. If you say it in hate, you're wrong. And you can, put, you can fill that blank in with any hot-button political situation, from abortion to homosexuality to medical marijuana, any of the big things that are out there right now. There are people on both sides of the issue, and if we're ugly about it, we're ugly. You hear me? And that's not what we're designed to be. We're designed to be Christ followers. We need to be careful how we speak. Careful that we speak in love. But friends, to live a godly life, you're going to look weird to the world. That's just all there is to it. Uh, Eli thought Hannah was drunk. <laughs> he, he, he said, you're drinking this early in the morning. What's wrong with you? It's going to require us disagreeing with cultural mainstream norms. And we've got to come to grips with this. That's healthy and that's empowering. If we would realize, when we, when we come to realize that we don't need to convince people around us that we are right in order to be justified by following God. 
I'm going to say that again. We don't have to convince them we're right in order to be justified for our opinions in holding to God. That verse that was read earlier, Colossians 3, 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Not be near your heart. Let his peace rule. Moms, listen. Maybe you still carry a burden of loneliness or guilt or shame. Maybe you, you battle mom guilt all the time. You're worried you haven't prayed enough or you've, you haven't trained them enough or you've messed them up so bad they're never going to work. Friends, our God sees you. Just like he saw Hannah that day. Just like he saw every tear that Hannah ever shed. He saw her. And, and what about the husband, Elkanah? He was a man of wealth. Uh, history will tell us he was a Levite. He traveled to Shiloh where the tabernacle was. It's about a day's journey, but he went there for, for feasts. He went there. He was obviously a godly man. His name means God has created. He was a good man. It says he gave her a double portion. Now, it doesn't say this in Scripture, but more than likely that came out of his portion. It didn't come out of Peninnah's or the other kids. He didn't take from them. He took out of his own self to give to her. But what about that comment in verse 8? The, only, the one we all read, I, I have a hard time reading it without kind of chuckling. Well, what's wrong, uh, Hannah? Aren't I enough? Aren't I more than ten sons? Is that not the most guy statement ever? Like, oh, honey, you don't need a Mother's Day present. <laughs> I'm your present. Doesn't that sound like us? You got it all right here, but no, that's disgusting. Uh, don't, doesn't that sound like a, a man mindset? It does if we're looking through our eyes. But if you look at this through e Near Eastern history and what we've talked about earlier. Now listen, she was broken. She was crushed. She was crying. She seemed inconsolable. And she hadn't born any children. Do you realize that according to rabbinical law, any of those, any of those five things were grounds enough to cast her out? That was enough. Because you cried too much? Yes. According to rabbinical law, if you cried too much, you could be put out. If you burned the dinner, you could be put out. That's how bad this situation was. And the fact that he could have put her out for any of those things. He could have divorced her and been rid of her. And if he did that, do you realize she didn't have any heirs? She didn't have any, anybody else? She would be truly abandoned. There was no welfare system. There was no way to take care of her. The fact that he acknowledged that she was in pain, the fact that he kept her around, to me says he was a cut above the rest. And yes, when I look at it through our eyes and Western eyes, it does look kind of dumb. But when you look at it through theirs, it changes everything. Maybe, though, the biggest lesson we can get out of Hannah is prayer. In Shiloh, at the tabernacle, in her pain... She sought the presence of God. Now listen, her emptiness was haunting her. her. Her rival wife was taunting her. And where did she go? Did she go to all of her friends? Did she go on Facebook? 
though she went to God. Friends, she didn't casually walk along at night crying and go, oh, there's a tabernacle. Let's go in here. Maybe that would help. It was not a last-ditch effort. It was not a Hail Mary pass. It was intentional. She went into the presence of God in her pain. Let me ask you, do we do that in our prayer life? Is it intentional? Is it the first thing we do, or is it the last gasp effort? Susanna Susanna Ansley was born in 1669 in London, England. She married a man named Samuel Wesley in 1688. She had a rough life. She gave birth to 19 children. Yet only 10 of them survived past birth. So that's, that's barely over 50%. Her husband was in ministry, so he was often traveling and leaving her home with all of these kids. They were not rich. They were very poor. She was felt all alone and home uh, with no money. They lost everything they owned to a fire twice. They lost it. They rebuilt it. They lost it again in ancient London. It was a very difficult life, but she had created a prayer apron. An apron that she wore that she had put the, the names of all 19 children, even the ones that had passed on, she put that, them on that apron. And when she was overwhelmed, she would take this apron and she would pull it over her head and her kids would leave her alone. Moms, I don't know if that's a good thought. Uh, you, know, you know, you could try. Uh, but she would, she would pray for those children by name. And she said later on that... Those prayers sustained me. Now, you don't know much about Susanna Annesley. You probably don't know anything about her, but you might know some of the rest of the story. Two of her sons that she had that lived, one named John Wesley and another named Charles Wesley, became some of the greatest preachers of that time. They founded the holiness movement that became what we know as the Methodist church. Thousands of people came to Jesus because of their poignancy, and they, de- they declare every bit of it was because of the prayers of their mother. Friends, prayer, the power isn't in, in how hard I pray. The power is in the recipient of the prayer. The power is not Hannah going into the tabernacle saying, I'm going to pray harder. This is my opinion. It doesn't say this in Scripture, but it's my opinion. Hannah wasn't praying for a son so she'd feel valuable or worthwhile. I, think she was, I don't think she was praying for, for an inheritance. I don't think she was praying to get even with Peninnah. I think she was praying so she could give that child back to God because she trusted the consistency and the faithfulness of God. When she's praying, she's laying it all out there for him to see. Question, how honest are you in your prayers? I'm not asking if you pray hard enough. I'm asking how much do you really lay out there for him? Are are you holding things back in your prayers? Or is it truly surrendered? And, And let's be honest, in different seasons in our life, our prayer life is going to be different. A bride on her wedding day is going to pray differently than the day she served divorce papers. True? In different seasons, we're going to have different prayer life. But is it a prayer of surrender? Hannah surrendered it all before God. She laid it on the table. And 
And she consistently did this. She didn't just do this once in a while. She did it over and over and over. And friends, when you surrender over and over, you are going to see God working in ways you didn't even believe you could see. In 1999, two cognitive psychologists from the University of Illinois, Simons and Chabris, conducted an experiment called the Selective Attention Test. Yeah, go ahead and roll that next one if you could. Uh, Yeah. And in this, you're going to be watching some students. You're to count the ones wearing white how many times they pass the ball. And this is called the Selective Attention Test. And I'll let you watch, and I'll let you count. And I'll mumble in the background because the people on the radio would be having dead air right now. And they would be going, I don't know what's going on. We can't see anything. Uh, Yeah, this is for you people on the radio. Thanks for tuning in. We're really appreciative of you listening. And uh, we want to be talking about how we listen. So how many passes did you count? Thirteen? Sixteen is the correct answer. Very good. You're not correct. But um, thank you for playing. You get a lousy copy of our home game. um, The question is not that. How many saw the gorilla? (laughs) The what? (laughs) But half of you are going. Statistics will tell us 48% of you, almost half of you, did not see the gorilla. And you're all thinking, what is he talking about? What what gorilla? How many of you saw the gorilla? A guy in a gorilla suit runs through, bangs on his chest, and walks out. What? And it's called selective attention. Now, here is what these psychologists concluded, that our minds are wired to see what we expect to see. And we often miss what we do not intend to encounter. Moms, do not miss what God is doing in your life. Now, I hear you, okay? So many moms and grandmoms are so right here, okay? We're so tunnel visioned in. We got so much to do. We got parties. We got graduation. We got, uh, we got to get hair done. We got to get all this other stuff. We got to clean the house. We, got, we have all these things. And so we're just so focused right here that we miss so many things that are going on around us. And our God wants you to know that he is there. Now, it's easy to see things like failure and exhaustion and overwhelm and maybe maybe that's where you are this morning i hope you heard all of the songs that franklin picked out listen to the consistent theme through every song you have done great things for every fear that closes in you are closer for every doubt that comes on strong you are stronger i will rest in your promises. Listen to this. My confidence is in your faithfulness. I will sing of the goodness of God. Friends, Hannah prayed, Hannah stayed faithful, and God is faithful. Look quickly at chapter 2, at 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel 1 is her crying out to her heart. A big chunk, the first 14 verses of chapter 2, are Hannah's prayer 
of declaring how great our God is. Oh, look at you, God. You have come through and you continue to come through. You have battled for me. Moms, he is battling for you. I know you're tired. I know you're worn out. We stand with you today. Maybe you're overwhelmed and you need somebody to stand with you. We want to do that. We'll pray with you. We'll wrap our arms around you. But I challenge you to do what Hannah did. Because God came through. She sang of the goodness of God. And we're inviting you to sing of His greatness. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.